0: We're talking to one of the big hitters in lincolnshire agriculture today beeswax dyson who are they what do they do are they planning to take over the world i think farming in harmony with the environment also makes good business sense as well and it's british food fortnight we'll talk to fullback farmer ronnie ownsworth and find out what it's all about
1: it's basically to encourage people to by local and we may underline the word
0: may have some good news for sugar beet growers more from sean sparling in a moment the week in agriculture this is the farming program with steve orchard Hello, lovely to be back with you. Refreshed, recharged and thankfully and only just not quarantined. And a big thanks to Ellie Codling for looking after the shop for the last couple of weeks. Lots to talk about this week. Let's start with a couple of items of news. This year's Uppingham Fat Stock Show has been cancelled because of coronavirus due to take place on Wednesday the 25th of November. Organisers say with the six-person limit it would be just too hard to control social distancing. Committees looking forward to A, providing a Christmas tree for the town still and to next year's show as we all are rise home college in lincoln still has places available for courses starting this month sharon kirby is the academic lead are some of these courses in agriculture sharon
2: yeah there would be agricultural uh, related courses steve we also will have some land-based technology courses as well so the 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 courses on offer will be from level one so that's your lower level ability with low practical um, skills right the way up to foundation degree
0: so what kind of jobs would these courses lead to
2: so the majority of our students that leave will go into farm work and working hands-on on, on, on a farm in a practical context and that most of our degree students go off into to management some of our degree students have gone off into agronomy um, some have gone back to work and manage on the home farm and some have gone completely down a different avenue into one of the allied industries.
0: What kind of ages of students are you looking at? Are you straight out of school here?
2: Yeah, 16 to 18 would be our further education students. Then at 18 plus, they'd be looking more at our degree provision.
0: And when do the courses start?
2: Well, we've we're actually just started in the academic year, but we've got a few, few more weeks uh, of recruiting. We always seem to to get some students coming, coming late that have maybe made the wrong career choices and maybe gone off into a different education system. And, uh, you know, we sort of, we never say never really, but we look towards an October cut-off point.
0: Where can they find information at? Where do they go next?
2: We've actually got an open day coming up on the 30th of September in the evening from 5.30 till 8.30, so if they're interested, they could come along then and have a chat to the team. They can also log on to the UCAS website where they can find much more um, information around some of our higher education courses. But primarily, I would sign anyone to our college website, risehome.ac.uk.
0: Sharon Kirby from Rise Home College in Lincoln. Now, we know that in the UK, we produce some of the best food in the world. And we know the importance of us all supporting our food industry, whether as a consumer, retailer, producer or distributor. But how do we spread the message to as wide an audience as possible? One very effective organisation is Love British Food, who promote our produce and once again they've organised the British Food Fortnight, which started this weekend. Ronnie Owensworth, who farms near Fulbeck, is here to tell us more.
1: Good morning.
0: Morning. A busy fortnight has just begun. British Food Fortnight, and you're a community supporter. What's actually the aim of British Food Fortnight?
1: The aim is simple. It's to encourage people to discover the diverse and delicious food made in Britain and to actively seek it out uh, on menus and shopping aisles. And it was started way back in 2001, following the foot-and-mouth crisis, which had brought farming to a halt and to its knees.
0: And what's actually involved in the fortnight? What, what happens?
1: It's basically to encourage people to buy local. So consumers... What they can do to support the local suppliers and farmers, encourage retailers to sell more British and local produce in their shops, pubs, restaurants, hotels, cafes, visitor attractions, to do their part to encourage as well. The caterers and the food service organisations, so that they're aware that these food producers and farmers are local to them and what they're growing and supplying And then the public sector procurement, schools, universities, councils. It's basically to let people know what is on their doorstep, what is grown, what is fully traceable, what is sustainable and part of their community. So it is a a part of the year when it's a focus, but hopefully we'll encourage people then throughout the rest of the year to supply and to buy and to use British food.
0: So in simple terms, it's really aimed at everybody because we all eat.
1: It is, it is. It's not just for the people that are in the food industry.
0: Now, a question that might seem blooming obvious, but for those listening who are not producing food, why buy British? What's so special about British food?
1: Right, we have the highest welfare standards in the world. We are all accredited, all all our food is top quality, it's fully traceable. I am a big supporter of small producers and family businesses. And when I go out and supply our product out, I always buy their produce because I know how they've grown it, how they've reared their animals, how they've looked after them. And that's really important to me. So farmers are great investors in their countryside and the community. So, you know, when you buy products from us farmers and food producers, we invest. In our communities and in the wildlife you know and the environment and that's important to us naturally that's not just a, a recent thing and it's important to the public i know that so if you are buying from us you know the traceability of that food and it's sustainable and we all have to play our part in our food production and that you know goes across the board
0: and it tastes bloody good
1: It
0: tastes fantastic. (laughs) All the information at lovebritishfood.co.uk and hashtag British food is great if you're doing something for the fortnight. Ronnie, thanks ever so much for joining us on the farming programme this uh, Sunday morning.
1: Thank you very
0: much. Do let me know what you're doing to support British Food Fortnight and I'll give you a mention on next week's programme. You can get in touch via the website or via the app. To agronomy now, very good morning Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services.
3: Yes, a very good morning to you Steve, I hope you've taken note of how good the weather's been since Ellie's been in charge, Ellie coddling weather we've had two weeks of it, so if you know a could work together next year from about the 25th of July till the middle of September that'd be appreciated get a good harvest weather 2021 look I want to jump straight in and talk about sugar beet um, virus control or rather the lack of it I suppose very very topical this week it has been for months it's been a source of constant frustration for us but I said last week on the program that crop nutrition was responsible for some of this yellowing and absolutely it is it's easy to take what I say out of context but you can't take the context out of what I'm saying I've been saying for months that virus is responsible for 80% plus of the yellowing we're witnessing out in the field but around 20% of it is something we can do something about with manganese, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, nitrogen, sulfur, boron and if we can do that it's inexpensive to do so we should be doing that but really we're frittering around the edges Um, Sugar beet growers across Europe have been struggling and we're really staring down the barrels of massive losses this year. They could be as high as 70% when you consider that beet yellows virus alone can account for a 50% yield loss um, in a sugar beet crop. And we've got beet yellows virus, beet mild yellows, beet chlorosis, beet mosaic virus. All of these things are contributing to the problems we now see out in the field. And that's all because of a political decision to remove an insecticide group of seed dressing, the neonicotinoids. From a crop in sugar beet that bees rarely visit, let alone foraging, there's nothing flowering in a sugar beet crop, so they've no reason, the pollinators and the bees have no reason to go in that crop, so therefore it is very, very low risk if that crop is dressed with a neonicotinoid seed treatment. It is abundantly clear that our foliar insecticides that we've been left with as a result of not having that seed treatment are impotent. They're incapable of protecting us from the aphids who carry those viruses in their saliva and who transmit them. And this year started transmitting them as early as the end of April as crops were just pricking through the ground. So it's been an absolute nightmare. We're employing all of the other Um, measures that we have available to us integrated pest management integrated crop management we go when thresholds are reached and thresholds for Mises persicae aphids were reached at the end of April on cotyledon crops in some cases so now finally George Eustace is listening to those of us who've been telling him just how desperate this situation is with British sugar out there in the field in sugar beet across the east and the north of the UK in particular but also across Europe and it's devastating And that word devastating might prove to be a very small word in comparison to what the damage truly is when the harvesters start rolling over the next few weeks. So over the last few months, France have been seeking emergency approval for next season, along with 10 other countries, including Poland, Belgium and Spain. France being the biggest sugar producer in Europe. And in order to safeguard the sugar industry here in the UK, so have we. And NFU Sugar and myself and a lot of other people have been very, very vocal. Many of us in the industry similarly so. So fingers crossed that pressure, those conversations we've all been having will come to pass next season and we get some sort of emergency approval to use neonicotinoid seed treatments on the sugar beet crop to safeguard that crop and that industry. But I'm afraid a one-year derogation needs to be a minimum of what we get. Because until we get CRISPR technology to give us a fast track to varieties which are at least tolerant or at best resistant to beet yellows virus, beet mild yellows virus, beet chlorosis virus, beet mosaic viruses, or even try to speed up that maturity resistance gene that kicks in in a sugar beet crop when it gets to 12 leaves, until we get to that point, we need the help from those insecticides. And heartbreaking to see the sugar beet crop looking so dreadful out in the field, and it's sold Destroying to know that sugar beet's future is in the hands of people who are detached. They're ignorant of the impact that the loss of the UK beet industry would have on jobs, on farming, on domestic food security, and it really is that serious and that significant because we can't afford to grow a crop and then make a massive loss like we could potentially be making this year. We need to watch this space but keep our fingers crossed that they are listening and we will get some um, peace out of this. Um, all seed rate then moving on to that cabbage stem flea beetle levels increasing over the last 7 days but still way way down on those levels that we saw last year, remember it's direct feeding at the moment, as long as the plant is outgrowing the damage then you're ok, don't just keep routinely applying insecticides, that's the wrong way of doing it, monitor the situation with sticky traps, water traps etc volunteers take those out as soon as the crop is big enough for you to do so usually once you get the crop to one true leaf because with things being as dry as they are every volunteer is sucking moisture out of the seedbed and that will be holding the oil seed rate back and of course when you get a big quantity big smothering effect starts to happen and you'll see the combine trails right through to harvest if you don't deal with them slugs also still an issue some of them not even bothering to come above ground but the heavy dews that we're now getting are starting to see slugs move onto to the top remember but don't use metaldehyde within 10 metres of a water course, preferably not on the headlands, and the ferrous phosphate is still working really well. The crop's growing really quickly despite all that, and as yet, as I said, cabbage stem flea beetle levels much, much lower than this time last year, which is a positive. Winter wheat drilling, remember, you shouldn't be drilling anything that's got blackgrass in it. Now is the time to get your stale seed beds underway. Manage those, get a few flushes of black grass under your belt and out of the way with glyphosate before you start. If you're going to drill now on the less... Uh, high risk land then 175 seeds really wants to be where you're sitting but bydv is still a massive threat Um, get it in too early it's at risk from several generations of aphids and i can find bird cherry oak grain aphid rose grain aphid out there you don't really have to look very hard there on every volunteer and on most of the grasses i'm looking at so let's see uh, what happens over the course of the next seven days steve now that we've got steve orchard weather back in play Thanks, Sean. If you'd like to speak to
0: Sean, his website for contact is sasagronomy.co.uk. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. One of the biggest names in Lincolnshire agriculture is Beeswax Dyson. Now, the name's well known, but how much do we know about them? What do they do? How do they work? They don't make a big noise about what they do, preferring simply to get on with the job, which they do very effectively and with a focus on the environment. They're also keen to help support the local economy and help where possible generally. I'm looking forward to the company being regular contributors to the farming programme in the future. And today, Richard Williamson, who's Beeswax Dyson's MD, joins us. Morning, Richard, to tell us a little bit first, if you would, about what the company does. The
4: company farms around about... 28,000 acres of land in Lincolnshire and its activities, all the normal farming activities you'd imagine, cereal crops, potatoes, sugar beet, it grows some energy crops for the AD plants and then we have uh, uh, two AD plants, uh, five megawatts of production altogether and we have a, a property portfolio as well.
0: You're very, very big on sustainability, aren't you, as a company?
4: When the company was set up, um, Steve, it was, it was really about trying to think forward uh, what was going to happen. We made some assumptions uh, at the time. Uh, the company's only eight years old as to what might happen going forward. And I think what we thought was that the likelihood is that farmers would be supported in a different way uh, than they are currently, and also that basic payment, as we know it, uh, would disappear. And we also felt that by farming really well, and that in a holistic sense, that logically that would give us the best outcome going forward. So rather than sustainability being something we would do on an occasional basis, it needed to be completely embedded in in everything we did.
0: So you're looking at things on a long-term basis. I know it's, it's something within farming that's become more embedded in everyday work anyway, but you're taking a long-term view uh, to protect not just your business, but the environment as well. I think
4: that's exactly right, and I think that some people might view the two as being as competing. I, I don't see that. I mean, that some people may think that if you are farming in a in a certain way and let's call it more environmentally sustainable or whatever badge anybody wants to put in that means that there is some kind of commercial compromise and it, initially then there may well be but going forward i don't see that i think that the, the systems which we're all excited about and everybody developing and lots of other people in lincolnshire uh, are clearly looking at as well where i think farming uh, in harmony with the environment also makes good business sense as well. And I think that, that's where I'm heading with it.
0: And I'm guessing with the connection with James Dyson that technology has a
4: part to play. I think I think it definitely does. And I think, again, with basic payment disappearing, I mean, up until now, I, the basic payment system and any of the systems that preceded it were really stifling innovation in farming. And, you know, people were starting off with a thin level of basic payment in that sense the payback on technology wasn't always that great and in that sense uh, it stifled innovation and it made us all get slightly hooked on cheap labor going forward i think there will be a, a greater payback for investment in technology something we're really excited about
0: has the shortage of labor this summer been a problem for you guys
4: not so critical for us uh steve in that you know we we haven't got a heavy exposure to um uh, to vegetables, for instance. But going forward with our new, new glass house, uh, we will likely have a, a, re- a requirement for uh, labourers there and, you know, we will look for some innovative solutions there where we, you know, there will be clearly some hand-picking of strawberries, but going forward we're excited about robotic picking of strawberries.
0: Just how big is that unit going to be at Carrington?
4: Um, it, it's um, 15 acres of glass. And it's going to be uh, producing about 700 tons of strawberries a year using LED lights. And the power is coming from the AD plant and the, uh, heat. So the electricity and the heat is coming from the, from the AD plant. So in that sense, it, it's what we call calling more of a circular, circular business model. You know, the crops are grown on the farm, they're fed into the AD plant. The fertiliser, the the residue goes back onto the land. The energy is consumed by the glasshouse or or the user. So it's quite exciting. It's really nice technology.
0: There's a certain amount of self-sufficiency going on here, isn't there?
4: Well, um, we hope so. I mean, there's lots of initiatives uh, kicking around at the moment, whether it's carbon or whether it's air quality or whether it's water quality or, you know, indeed it's, it's more of a commercial imperative. I think... What we're trying to do is to do things for more than one reason, because otherwise, you know, if you're totally focused on one issue, you could be very quickly uh, pulled out of shape. What I think is if something makes sense commercially, and if it makes sense for, for the people, and it makes sense for carbon, for instance, it's probably, probably a good reason to look at, at that and look at investing. But investing for single reasons, I'm, I'm very wary. Farming is a complex business. And often this Single answer is not uh, historically certainly has never has never been the answer.
0: Richard, thank you so much for joining us on the farming program this morning. Great to get a bit of an insight to uh, one of the area's biggest players, and I'm looking forward to working together with some regular contributions from you in the uh, the coming months.
4: We're very happy to help, and I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. I, I listen to it uh, via the podcast normally very early on a Monday morning, and uh, you know if we can if we can contribute, we can help. And be be part of the discussion. Lincolnshire's had a had a really tough time farming-wise. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure none of your listeners underestimate that. And uh, the resilience of the of the farming people in Lincolnshire has been at an epic level. And let, let's just hope for some slightly better weather, and we get an easier run this autumn.
0: Thanks a lot, Richard.
4: Thank you very much. Cheerio.
5: Let's look at the markets now with Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. US maize traded higher this week by 1.5% as early signs in yields are not quite matching the USDA numbers. Thursday saw a tender for yet more milling wheat. 235,000 tonnes come to Russia and Poland as they look to build their stocks. This is the first Polish wheat to head to Egypt since 2015. The pound has helped the UK wheat price again this week by making 180x the farm now achievable for May 21. Harvest is now coming to a close in the Lincolnshire area with a limited amount left to cut. Beans are still being combined and are coming off reasonably well given at the trying growing season that we have had. Wheat premiums are still available across the board and with high feed based prices and knowing the quantity to market this season it is worth considering taking some cover at these levels. As I mentioned earlier, the pound has been the main factor that has made the rise in UK feed wheat. This could change if Brexit starts to progress closer we get to Christmas. The real winner this week, however, has been soybeans, up 20 cents a bushel on Wednesday, which helped maize and wheat spill over strength. Strong weekly export numbers are expected as China continue to buy US beans at a pace. And like wheat, there is a feeling that the USDA yield expectations may be a little optimistic. Rape is benefiting too from the rally. French motif was higher by 5 euros on Wednesday, although the firming pound won't have helped the calculation as irith still remains closed. Looking at sample results for barley, it is clear that germination has been affected by later harvesting and laid crops. We are also seeing high nitrogens, which isn't surprising given the smaller crop and the normal amount of fertiliser being applied in the spring. Where barley has made the grade, premiums are available for a max 185 and a max 165. The feed barley price has got a small carry from now through to the end of June. The question is, is how much barley will be exported pre-Christmas and will this feed based price move? Looking at prices this week for feed wheat, September 174 to 176, November 176 to 178, February 178 to 180 and limited carry going forward. To May at 180 to 182. Milling wheat premiums are currently £20 to £22. Oilseed rape September 336 to 338 with a good rise through to November at 347 to 349. February 350 to 352 and again a limited carry forward to May at 350 to 352. Feed barley for September is £126 to 128. November, 129 to 131, February, 131 to 133, and May, 132 to 134. Molting premiums for a 185 nitrogen are £10, and for a 165 nitrogen are £20. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kit. That's Kit Dickinson
0: from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-Day Forecast. So, Ellie brought us some fine weather over the last couple of weeks. Let's see what I can do this week. The pressure's dropping through the week to be quite low by Thursday, Friday. Mostly dry and cooler with more cloud cover after today. It's a dry, sunny Sunday in Lincolnshire with a light easterly breeze and highs of 20 Celsius this afternoon. Monday sees the wind move round to the southwest. Light with speeds in single figures. Dry tomorrow with temperatures just getting into the 20s. Tuesday may see a shower or two during the day, but nothing heavy. It will be cloudy all day, though, with a light westerly breeze and starting a cooler period with highs of 16 Celsius. During the day Wednesday, it looks dry, but some heavy rains likely overnight. Just a light southwesterly and highs of 14 Celsius and overnight lows starting to drop into single figures thursday and friday see a drop in pressure the winds picking up mostly from the south and west mostly dry but some rain possible on friday and temperatures in the low teens now just a reminder that today is leaf open farm sunday online this year as have been so many such events so you can find out more and take a look ahead to next year's hopefully not virtual open farm sunday at farmsunday.org Next week we'll talk tech, hair coursing and focus on one Lincolnshire farmer's efforts to do their bit for net zero. The podcast is now available on the website and the app. Apologies if you've not been able to get the podcast on other platforms recently. We've had the gremlins in. They've now been dealt with and we're back available on iTunes and elsewhere. Until next Sunday then, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.